Well, I don't know what the worship team's trying to do, doing like two of my all-time favorite songs back-to-back in a worship service, but uh, amen. I was so blessed by that, especially Be Thou My Vision. What a wonderful song. I, um, I, I, I got to say, many of you missed an opportunity to gloat over the Packers' victory last week. To my face, you could have poured it in there. And so, uh, no, that was fun. I, I saw the uh, Cowboys two score victory ahead, not victory, incomplete. Um, and I, I was like, okay, I'm feeling pretty good. And then I saw, oh, wait, yeah, Mike McCarthy's over there and he's famous for taking his foot off the gas and he's back in Lambeau, so he's probably going to do that. And so, yeah, there we go. Okay, I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm not bitter. I'm not. I've got no problems with it, not processing. Okay, the Bible. The Bible's why we're here, right? No, I'm kidding. That was a fun time. Yeah, right, yes. That was a fun time uh, last week, fellowshipping, hanging out, and uh, cheering. And there were, <laughs> there were some people there who were getting loud. Good for them. Hey, real quick family business before we uh, get into the Word today. I uh, just want to put it out there. Uh, for those who might be spurred by the Lord. Um, one of our teams that is needing some more help, more people on the team, is the Emerge Room. That's the room over here that you see after worship. A cluster of kids gets up and goes out there. That's fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And in our church, uh, we don't believe in just child care where we send kids out to be entertained while you get the real good Bible teaching. No, we're Right now, in the kids' wing, up and down, and over in the Emerge class, we believe in children's ministry, where we're planting the Word of God into our children's hearts um, and watering that seed and trusting that the Lord will will reap a harvest one day um, in the lives of all of our children. And so that's a classroom where we need about six more, at least six more people. And so Fourth, fifth, and sixth grade may not be your thing, but maybe it is what God's calling you to. It's not for everybody, but it could be for you. And so I'm just asking this morning, would you at least pray about it and see if the Lord would put it on your heart to serve in there? And if you're compelled by the Lord to say, you know what, I could help out in there, then you could talk to me, you could talk to Aaron, or you could talk to Gabby, and we'll get you plugged in uh, and start the process for getting your, your help in there. We want our children to have an incredible experience learning the word, uh, and having fun in a safe environment with others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we dive into scripture. Lord, we just pause right now and acknowledge that we have audience with the God of all creation. How wonderful, Lord, that you're mindful of us. You're thinking about every single person in this room and in the commons and online you know exactly where we are. You know exactly what's going on in our life. Lord, I ask today by your Holy Spirit that through your word, you would bring about transformation where transformation is needed. Uh, for those that do know you, Lord, I ask that your word would continue to draw us closer to you, continue to work in our hearts, continue to form us more and more into the image of Christ, and that we would leave this room, all of us, in some ways different than when we came. In Jesus' name, and everyone says... Amen. Hey, if you're new here, if you're visiting, we welcome you and we hope that you are blessed by your time with our church family today. Our church is on the tail end of something that we're calling the year of the Bible, where we are taking January to December of the year 2022 to go Genesis to Revelation, not saying that we've read 
100% of all the scripture because that would take a while. Um, but we are following the main primary high points of scripture, if you will, following the, the one story that is the Bible, the one story about Jesus, not a bunch of random disconnected stories, but it's all leading up to revealing, explaining Jesus and training us to look forward to yet when he will come back for his church. And so right now, this last week in our reading plan, we were in the book of Acts. We went back to the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts already. And then we hopped into some of Paul's letters and the epistles and all of that. And now we're coming back this last week in week 46 out of 52 um, to, to close up the book of Acts, chapters 20 through 28. And uh, this last week has us wrapping up the book of Acts where we see the end of Paul's life and ministry. We see in the closing chapters of the book of Acts, this apostle Paul who has set his sights on Rome. He's already been on three missionary journeys and he's going all throughout the region, all throughout the empire as far as he can and as, as much as the Lord will allow him to go to all these different cities, all these different regions to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to anybody and everybody who will listen. And Paul recognizes at this point of the story, he recognizes he's coming to the end of his life. He recognizes because the Holy Spirit has been telling him and he's bearing witness in his heart. He knows that his time is running out. And the last thing that he has in his mind that he wants to check off and get done is he wants to get the gospel all the way to Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire, not only get the gospel there, his heart and his desire is to present the gospel before Caesar. And thankfully, God chose Paul, a man who in God's wise plan, he was a Roman citizen, even though he was a Jew. And so because of that, the punishments that would have been lobbied onto Paul that would have been non-consequential were consequential in the fact that he was a Roman citizen and could say, I would like to appeal my case to Caesar. And he worked his way to the empire through his arrest, worked his way up the chain of command to finally, hopefully at the end of his life, present the gospel to Caesar. Now, I'd remind you also of the opening chapter of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where the, the pattern or the format of the entire book is laid out in verse 8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of the book of Acts, we see that happening where the gospel starts spreading in Jerusalem and it spreads out to Judea and Samaria. And Paul getting to Rome would have been symbolic of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. If you lived in the ancient Roman Empire, you would have heard that term, the ends of the earth, and understood it to mean the edges or the fringes of the empire. Now today, 2,000 years later, we recognize that that same commission of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth still stands for us today. We still have Matthew 28, the great commission from our Lord Jesus who said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Friends, if you're wondering, why are we here? 
What is our role? I'm a Christian now. I'm in the family of God. What's my job? Should I get plugged in into this ministry or should I participate in this outreach or should I volunteer at this charity or should I, what should I do with my life? Listen, it is summarized in that commission from Jesus Christ that is still laid out for all of us today and that is to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that God has commanded of us. And so our mission is not just to get people to church. Our mission is not just to have a good worship service on Sunday where we get the feels and we get an inspiring message and then we go about our lives the rest of the week. But that every single one of us, not just the preachers, but all of us, would have a frame of mind where I exist, I'm alive, I'm still here because I am part of God's team now with this commission. Where we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul said, man, we have been reconciled back to God with our sin being forgiven. And then he says this, and we have been given that same ministry of reconciliation where we cry out to others, be reconciled to God. That's why we're here. That's why we're alive. That's why God doesn't just save us and go, boop, beam them up, Scotty. He leaves us here on his mission. And we see in the book of Acts that Paul is continuing to live out God's mission. Now, I want to ask you something that I've asked our church family a few times before. And I think this is a good question to ask ourselves perpetually because this can drift for us if we don't pay attention. And that is, what do you value most? Stop and think about that for just a second. What do you value most? If we had time and I could take that handheld mic I had earlier and we just passed it around the room and everybody took a turn. We said, what do you value most? We would hear a ton of different things. We would hear a lot of different answers and at the same time, we would hear a lot of the same things. There would be things that all of us, if I said, what are the 10 most valuable things in your life? Rank them in ascending order. Number one is most important. What's most valuable in your life? Since we're in church and I'm your pastor, your first answer is probably going to be the Sunday school answer, right? What's most valuable to you? Jesus. And that's right. That should be the answer. For all of us, I hope that's the answer for me. I hope that's the answer for you. And on our days where we are spiritually strong, spiritually fed, when we are in the word, when we are praying, that's an easy number one, right? It's like, yeah, Jesus is most important in my life. But sometimes all the different voices and influences and and seductions in this world can change what is most valuable to us and what is most important to us, which is why it's good for us to continually go, What's most valuable to me? What's most valuable to me? Now, two years ago, there was a study done where people went all around the world studying all different cultures in the world, studying all sorts of um, what what people valued in different places in the world. And they, they came to some interesting conclusions and they took all sorts of notes that this culture or this region, they, they studied nine major regions like North America is a region, South and Central America is a region, China is a region, Middle East, all these different regions of the world to try and determine what is most valuable to different people in different regions. Because, hey, we, we Americans, we modern Westerners value things differently than those in China. 
We value some of the same things, but we also value some different things. And they did this incredibly thorough study to try and figure out what is most valuable to people all over the world. And so they gave some categorized, like this country or this region values these things most. But then they also compiled them all together to put together a consensus of if you polled every culture in every region in all peoples of the earth, what are the most important or the most valuable things to all people in the world, no matter where they live. And what they found was there was one answer that was the number one for everyone around the world. Do you know what it is? First service guessed it pretty quick. You guys know if you ask the entire world what's most valuable, what do you think was the consensus around the world? I heard a few things and I did hear the right thing. It's family. Everyone around the world, all these different regions, out of these nine regions, five of them said family was the most important, and the four that didn't say family had family at second. So all the world's going, family is most important. I think about the family that we just dedicated this morning, their child, all their family is here representing support to them. You feel the strength of what we're talking about, how family is so important you can go to the other side of the world. Generations throughout history would go, family is so important. They took a, a list, 56 things from their research that they said, here in order are one through 56, the many different things that are valued by the whole world. Number one was family. Number two was similar but different. That was relationships. Number three takes a little turn. Number three, what's most valued around the world is financial security. And I think that's actually connected to number one and two because financial security helps you feel like you can take care of your family or your friends. People want financial security. And then you go on the top 10, number four, belonging. People think belonging to someone or something or a community or something is very important. Number five was community. Number six, around the world, people valued personal growth. Number seven, people valued loyalty. Number eight, I was hoping this would have been a little higher, people valued religion and spirituality. Number nine, people valued, kind of connected to number three, employment security. People want security in their job, in their income, in, in what they're giving their lives to. Number 10, People valued personal responsibility. I find it interesting, some of the things that come up on this list when you think, if you were going, what do I think people around the world would value the most? I probably wouldn't have made that list. And the point is there, that people all around the world value the same things while also valuing different things. And then the cool thing was they took this study and they zoomed in to all of these different regions. And I just want to highlight a couple of other things on this list that I found interesting or surprising. Number 13, around the world, what was most valuable, I thought would have been in the top 10, was health and well-being. I thought that would have been in the top 10. It was number 13. Number 19, I would have liked to have seen this higher, trustworthiness and honesty. Number 19 around the world, people are like, uh, that's number 19. Here's one I thought would have been higher because of movies and TV shows and books and music. Number 24 was love. 
Didn't you think that would be higher? Like, love's most important. It's all about love. And around the world, collectively, the voice consensus is, well, love's important, but it's number 24 on the list. Right after it, number 25 was material possessions. So the world is saying that love is barely more important than material possessions. I found it interesting that number 32 was happiness. People thought, eh, it's kind of important. You go on down the list, you get to number 42. This one made me sad. Number 42 out of 56 was service to others. Yeah. The final few, number 51, peace. You'd think people would care a lot more. But then again, should we be surprised when you consider human history and even current history? Right after peace, number 52 was money. 53 was unselfishness. 54 was confidence. And the last two, 55, freedom of speech. It's a lot of stuff that the world thinks is more important than that. And 56, determination. You think about these. A few more noteworthy things. I've already pointed out that number one around the world was family. Another interesting thing is that the world average ranking for freedom of speech hovered close to the bottom of this list. Freedom of speech was held highest in North America than anywhere else. Does that surprise you? Shouldn't surprise you. And I'm not trying to get political at all. I'm just pointing it out. Seriously. You know what was second? This will surprise you. You're not surprised that America finds freedom of speech important. What surprised me was number two was the Middle East. Cared about freedom of speech. Uh, second in line. Um, respect was ranked much higher in Africa and Central and South America than in the rest of the world. Africa and Central and South America go, respect is really important to us. Okay, Europe ranked tradition and religion and spirituality lower than all other regions. Think about Europe, if you haven't been there, is a spiritually dark place. You wouldn't think it is. You would think other places in the world, it's spiritually dark. Europe ranks religion and spirituality lower than all other regions. And do you, I find it interesting, do you know what the second region that ranked it lowest was? North America. North America ranked its second lowest. North America has also ranked significantly lower than the global average for valuing education, which I found surprising when you think about how much America has contributed to the world with technology and advancements and all that. Number six, finally, what region do you think valued material possessions higher than any other region? That was a good guess, but Europe. Europe valued possessions um, the most by a very, very thin margin, a, a two-way tie right behind North America was Europe and China. And if you step back and you consider those three economies and those three cultures of North America, Europe, and China, three of the most prosperous cultures in the world are also the three cultures that value personal possessions above all the others. My question comes back, to, how, to what do you value most? Because how much you value something determines how much you are willing to pay for it. You're kind of like, well, no, duh. That's value and pay, right? Hand in hand. But think about this for a moment. This bottle of water. This bottle of water. 
how much do you value this bottle of water? Well, you might be thinking, well, you just drank from it, so I value it none. <laughs> but that's also because you're here in America. If I took you to the desert of Africa and you did not have clean drinking water and you saw an American drink a bottle of water like this and then just discard it, you would dive to grab it. Why? Because this is more valuable to them than it is to us. If we were in the Sahara Desert and you'd been lost in the desert for a day or two and you hadn't had any water and I walked up to you with this water that I had just drank from, you would not give a rip that I had just drank from it. And if I said to you, you can have this water, but I'm asking that you sign over to me all of your possessions. Now, to us, if I asked you to exchange this bottle of water for everything that you possess, you would laugh and walk away. But if you were in the Sahara and about to die, you would be very much like Esau when Jacob was like, sign over your birthright for a bowl of soup. Where Esau's like, fine, what is it if I'm dead? In the Sahara, you would take that bottle of water and you'd say, you can have whatever because I'm about to die out here and all those possessions mean nothing if you're dead. See, the value of something determines what you are willing to pay. And all of us throughout different cultures in the world and throughout different seasons of history value things differently. And what you value drives what you're willing to do, how much you're willing to pay, how far you're willing to go, how much you're willing to sacrifice based on what you value. So I'll finally add one more element to that question. Not only what do you value most, but what determines what you value most? Because we can easily, by default, allow our values to be formed by our culture and our flesh rather than the Word of God. In fact, I would say our values are 100% formed by our culture and our flesh until the Word of God confronts our cultural norms and the desires of our flesh. Every single person in the world is a product of the culture that they're raised in, which is why you can have people on the other side of the world who will look at people on the other side of the world from them and go, yeah, they care about some stupid stuff. We care about the right things. Which is why when you go to other places in the world as an American and people find out that you're American, a lot of people go, ugh. Because they have an idea about what we value and what we care about. And we look around the other side of the world and we go, yeah, they care about and value some dumb things. Or they care about and value some things that don't matter. All of us are formed starting by our culture. What we value is innate within us by the environment we have grown up in and by the desires of our flesh, which is why we need the word of God to challenge our cultural norms and to challenge the desires of our flesh. When we look at the life of Paul, this man went through the gauntlet. He went through severe affliction, persecution, and suffering. We see an incredible amount of affliction he experienced in the book of Acts alone. But we can also read in other epistles more suffering and persecution he experienced even beyond what is listed in Acts alone. But let's zoom into this account. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 is where we will be today. Let's zoom into this account where Paul has fled Ephesus to a city called Miletus. 
He was in Ephesus. He'd been there three years mentoring these people, discipling them, teaching them the truth. He goes on to say, I taught them the whole counsel of God, meaning for three years he taught them everything he could about God, about Jesus, about Christianity, about the faith. And then a riot was raised up in Ephesus by the sons of Sceva because they were losing profit from the ministry of Paul. They caused this riot in Ephesus. Paul and his company flee Ephesus. He goes to Miletus and he calls the elders from the church in Ephesus to come and see him, which is where we will pick up in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of what? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice with Paul, throughout the book of Acts, everywhere he goes, and if you read the different letters he wrote, like Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, all these letters that Paul wrote, the message is always what he just said. The message is the gospel. He said, repentance from sin and faith in Christ. Everywhere he goes, and the messages, the sermons that he spoke in the book of Acts, he would have different nuance in those sermons. And the letters that he wrote to all the different churches in all the different regions, there was nuance in those letters he wrote, but he would always make it clear the message that he preached was the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, repentance from sin and faith in Christ. Paul preached that everywhere he went. That was his M.O., The message stayed the gospel. It will always be the gospel. Verse 23. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul is outright saying, the Holy Spirit is telling me, I have affliction, persecution, and suffering in prison ahead of me. He's saying every city I go to, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to this. In fact, if you read some of the continuing chapters, you're going to see times where people say, Paul, the Holy Spirit's telling us if you go to Rome, you're going to die. Please don't go. And he's like, I know I'm going. And people are weeping, grieving over the fact they're never going to see their beloved Apostle Paul again. But still, he's so captivated by the mission that God gave him to spread the gospel throughout the region. And this personal mission he had to go take the gospel to Caesar. He's going, I know prison's ahead of me. I know flogging is ahead of me. I know I'm about to be shipwrecked. I know all this stuff has happened. It's already been happening to me. I've been beat a few times, stoned a few times, starving a few times, in prison a few times. Hey, what? this is Monday, right? He's saying, this is what God has for me. I'm going there either way. I'm not going to be dissuaded by the suffering and persecution that could lie ahead of me. Verse 24, Here is the anchor of why and how he could do all this. If you're a highlighter, an underliner, a circler, get ready. Verse 24. 
but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If you went and asked everybody what they valued, you go over that list, and even if our lists varied based upon our own experience, our own preferences, our own whatever, there comes a point in that list where for all of us, we value ourself. And for many different people in the world, we value ourselves more than others. Now, Jesus did teach, Scripture does teach, that we are to love ourselves. But also, we see Jesus saying, hey, deny yourself. Take up your cross, that instrument of the death sentence, and follow me. And if Paul was told by the Holy Spirit and by other believers, hey, don't go to Rome, please. The Holy Spirit told us you're going to die there. If he values himself, he goes, oh, snap. Well, uh, yeah, I don't want to die. I don't want to be imprisoned. I don't want to go through more persecution, more suffering, more affliction. That's not fun. I've been there, done that. So maybe I'll just stay here in my elitist, actually, on second thought, yeah, I'll stay put. No. He was constrained by the Holy Spirit to go. He had a mission from God to preach the gospel. Now, the tendency can be for us to go, whoo, glad it was him and not me. Right? To go, oh man, I'm thankful God isn't sending me to places like that where I could be thrown in prison or I could be killed for preaching the gospel. And the truth is that there is not a person hearing my voice that doesn't have the responsibility from God to share the gospel. And the truth be told, it's way easier for us than it was for Paul and his colleagues. What happens to us if we share the gospel? Are any of us today, right here, right now, worried that if we share the gospel, we're going to jail? No. Are we worried that if we tell other people that they are sinners in need of a savior, that we could go to the gallows? No. Guys, we've got it easy. And because of the comfort that we have grown up in, we can put those things off and just go, eh, yeah, I know that's there, but not today. That'd be awkward. This would be uncomfortable. Like, I know I'm going to see my family at Thanksgiving this week, and I've got Uncle Joe, and he needs the Lord, but... Sorry if your name's Joe. It just came out subconsciously, you know. I'm going to see Uncle So-and-so and, or whomever this week that I feel like the Lord's been compelling me to share my faith with them, to tell them about Jesus Christ. But, man, what if, what if they get mad at me for doing that? What if it gets uncomfortable? Like, what if tension comes in? We're trying to have this family get together with turkey and ham or whatever it might be, and, and we're trying to have a good, amicable time. Why would I mess that up? Because they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And because we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And because we have the commission from Jesus to do this. And what we can do is we can go, whew, Paul, man. Hats off to you, bro. 
or preachers keep on preaching. Good job. And Ephesians 4 tells us that the job of ministers is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That doesn't exclude us from it either. But if your Christianity is, let's just go to church on Sunday, let's hear a few good songs that give me the feels, let me hear a message that challenges and inspires me, and then Monday through Saturday, my life looks no different because of it. That's not Christianity. God has called us, like Paul, out of comfort, out of convenience. I've told you before and I'll tell you again, we live in a culture that prioritizes comfort, convenience, and pleasure. I'm hearing some mm mm-hmm. You know why I'm hearing that? Because you know it's true. We live in a society in America that is like, do anything and everything you can to be comfortable, to avoid inconvenience, and make sure that you prioritize pleasure. That's the message, that's the mantra of, of the, the heartbeat of the culture of America. In this culture where, where we have so many resources, we have everything at our fingertips we want. And we have a culture that our entire lives has been training us. Quick, easy, comfort, happy, pleasure, convenience. Which is why we need the word of God to be held up against our culture and go, oh man, because here's the deal. We're reading the year of the Bible and you've been reading our Bible plan. And if you read the Bible, there's going to be moments where the Bible goes. You guys are going to start thinking I just like slapping myself. I don't, but it gets your attention. Where the Bible goes, hey, that thing that you love, God hates. Or maybe it's not even that God hates. It could be, hey, that thing that culture has taught you to prioritize is stopping you from living missionally. There are things you will read in the Bible that you go, oh, well, (laughs) they couldn't admit that. Like it didn't really mean the whole give so much stuff away to help the poor, like in moderation, right? Like everything in moderation, right? We have allowed our culture to train us to have a frame of mind as for what we should value above other things. Back to 24, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only that I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He's been with these people three years, sharing in life with them, living with them, breaking bread with them, laughing with them, crying with them, suffering with them. He's been with them for three years. And he tells them, none of you are going to see my face again. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had a difficult week where one of my closest friends, someone whom many of you would love and cherish, Gino and Andrea, we sent them on. And they moved three hours away. And I had my tears, 
because Gino became one of my closest friends who I don't see in my life on a day-to-day basis anymore, but we still text all the time. And I could call him any minute, and we can FaceTime if I really want a good laugh. And the same for you. My parents live in Texas. They were here visiting this week. I could FaceTime them any minute. In this day and age, Paul is telling them, guys, I'm about to leave, and you will never see me again. This is difficult. This is challenging. We should thank God for the resources he's given us today. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's saying, I'm innocent, my hands are clean before God, because in these three years with you, I taught you everything I know about God, about the faith, about Christianity. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Listen, listen to the weight Paul's putting there. He's saying, hey guys, care for the flock. And I love that my 10 year anniversary a few weeks ago, the church gave me a gift with the map Sheboygan Falls and a little heart on it. And it had this verse on it about guarding the flock He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That last phrase, which he obtained with his own blood, the reality, the weight of, hey, Jesus paid for this church. Take it seriously. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are are sanctified, meaning set apart. 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me and all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. What do we see from all of this? We see that God's mission is greater than our ambitions. God's mission is greater than our ambition. Notice in Paul's life, Paul values God's mission above quite a few things, actually above everything. He values God's mission above his own bodily comfort and convenience. When he said, prison and affliction await me, we could recall Philippians, the letter to the Philippians where he says, 
All this stuff I count as rubbish that I might gain Christ. Jesus Christ was more important to Paul than anything else. And because of that, stemming out from that, Jesus Christ's mission was more important than all other circumstances. Which is why in Philippians he could say, listen, I have abounded, meaning I've done really well. And I've been abased, meaning I have been in some hard times. And he said, I've learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I can do all these things, meaning I can endure good times and bad times. I can be content whether it's good or bad. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, I value God's mission above my own comfort, my own convenience, my own bodily feelings. And there may come a day, church, where we finally have to walk this out. The culture is turning And we as Christians need to be prayerful and be full of the word of God. I was having a conversation with my wife a week ago saying, you know, honey, it wouldn't surprise me if in our lifetime the day comes where you might have to care for our girls because I'm in prison. There could come a day where laws are passed where I have to decide if I'm going to be faithful to God or go to jail. God, help me be faithful to you if it comes to that. Help me see that Jesus Christ is more valuable than my comfort, my convenience, and my good feelings. Paul values God's mission above his own relationships and community. In tears, they shared that last moment together. In tears, they were begging him not to leave, knowing that they would never see his face again. I'll leave the names out, but I think about the family that's a new missionary partner with our church who are going to a a very dangerous region and country to go take their family, their five kids, pluck them up out of our nice little cozy American dream Mayberry community and take them around the world to where you can be ostracized, imprisoned, and killed for your faith. That's a family who recognizes that the mission of God is more valuable than their comfort and their convenience, and I'm proud to support them. Paul valued God's mission above worldly possessions. He reminds them of the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Paul valued God's mission above his very life. As city after city after city tried to talk him out of going to Rome, saying, hey, there's bad stuff waiting for you. I don't care, I'm going. He knew he was about to die, and in that, I think he had a deep joy that he was about to see his Savior face to face. It's abundantly clear throughout the rest of the book of Acts that Paul knew getting to Rome with the gospel would end in his death. Still, he didn't value his life above God's mission. I think when we go around and we ask the world, hey, what do you value most? I think there's an answer that was left off of there because people want to have a pseudo humility. I think people value themselves. We value ourselves. Again, our pleasure, our comfort, our convenience, our welfare, our well-being. Paul said, I do not count my life of any value to myself, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Why? Is it because he was just reckless? No. 
It's because he had such a vision of Jesus Christ that made him care about nothing more than Jesus. He didn't value his life above God's mission. Let me say it another way. He didn't value his life above God's commands. Let me say it another way. He didn't value his own life above the lives of the lost that he would bring to faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. He recognized the lives of these people who are going to die and stand before God. Them hearing the gospel is more important than me staying alive. So he would go, put his life on the line to spread the gospel. See, when we value God most truly, we value his word above the messages of our culture. We value his commands above our desires. We value his commission above our ambition. We value him above our very lives because his word teaches us that we're here for a little while. And anybody here who's got any amount of gray hair can tell you it goes fast. I'm only about to turn 38. I've got a good bit of gray hair for a 38-year-old. But it goes faster and faster and faster. But the scripture teaches us that life is a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. What are we doing? Why are we here? We're going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for what he did with what he gave us. This is why whenever I talk to somebody in our church who's saying, yeah, I'm about to retire. I'm so excited. I'm like, me too. I'm excited for you. That's amazing. Can you think about how much gospel work you can do with your retirement? Because the temptation, because of how our culture has taught us to see the way that we should navigate life and seasons of our lives is to go, retirement, hey, I can kick up and I can golf every day and travel and collect seashells and play pickleball and do whatever I want. All of those things are good and fine and not bad. But the gospel and the mission of God ought to cause us to evaluate when, where, how much, and why we do those things. We have a time, a vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. And if you are retired or retiring, God is giving you a gift to finish your life strong running into his arms, not coasting in. Think about it. How do you want to spend the last season of your life? If you're not in retirement, wherever you are in your life, God has given you opportunities, relationships, resources, connections, and networks that I can't get to. All of you have people in your life that will never hear me preach. All of you have relationships, people that you can reach that I cannot. And if reaching people with the gospel is just the pastor's job, then there's a bunch of people who have no hope. All of us share this responsibility together. What are we doing? My hope and my prayer, my conviction, the Lord's just stirring me up and confronting me, just like, what's word of grace? Are, do we just have church on Sunday? Like, do we just come together and we hear that sermon and hear the songs, and then we let that be the Jesus garnish on our life, and then we go about the rest of our lives and never taking opportunities that the Holy Spirit is just laying at our feet, never taking advantage of, of opportunities to go on a mission trip, never taking advantages to go into our community and outreach and show the love of Christ, never taking advantage of opportunities that God gives us to have 
maybe uncomfortable and terrifying conversations with people who need to hear about the grace and truth and love of Jesus Christ. My hope and my prayer is that our church will significantly and aggressively ramp these things up. Looking into the next year, this is what we're focusing on. And so if you're like, you know, I don't want to have any part of that, here's your warning. But we will all stand before the Lord one day. And if you let me borrow a ton of money and you told me to do something with it and then you came back and I didn't do with what you gave me the money for, you're like, what are you doing? That's not why I gave that to you. That's the parable of the talents. And we will be faithful today in our lives with all the opportunities that God gives us to get out of our comfort zone. What's the worst that happens to us today? People think I'm good. People might think I'm weird. That ain't jail. That ain't being beaten. Well, they might jump me because they're uncomfortable. Have you seen social media? Somebody might punch me. That would be terrible. But look at Paul. Better yet, let's one-up Paul. Look at Jesus, who didn't let suffering stop him from the mission that the Father gave him. Aren't you thankful? And Jesus wrestled. You remember the garden where he's like, Father, if there's any other way, we could do this. Let this cup pass for me. If there's any other way we can do this that doesn't involve me taking 39 stripes on my back and being beaten and having my beard torn out and a crown of thorns crushed, pressed into my skull and, and being hung on a cross by my hands and feet with nails and, 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 and suffocating while I hang on the cross and, and then having a spear through my side. Like, if there's any other way, Jesus is sweating blood, grieved over what he's about to go through. He didn't want to go through it yet for the joy set before him, which was your redemption. Our forgiveness. He then said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. May our lives say yes and amen. Lord, I don't want to have this awkward conversation. I might lose a friend. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I don't want to have this conversation with family. That's a dynamic. Like, families are complicated. Lord, I don't want, I don't want to be the one that they're like, oh, they're here. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I don't want to talk to the stranger in the store that I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to ask, check on, and ask if I can check. I don't want to do that. They, they don't even know me. I don't know them. Like, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There will never be a thing that the Lord asks of us, commands of us, requires of us that is greater than what he required of his son. I dare say that it probably won't ever be anything greater than what he asked of Paul. And if that day comes, by the grace of God, Lord, may we have a vision of Jesus, an eternal perspective that overrules fleeting fears and pleasures and desires and momentary affliction in this world. I know this is a really fluffy, rosy sermon today. But all of this is just one more reason out of a litany of reasons why it is so important that we are in the Word of God regularly. 
because we need our values to be realigned to God's values. We need the word of God to change the way that we think. We need Romans 12 too, that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That renewing comes by the word of God. It is recognizing God, I probably have been trained and groomed to value things that you don't value. And I have probably been trained and cultivated and conformed to not value things that you do value. Lord, change my heart and renew my mind. I have a homework assignment for you. There's no grades. Well, I guess there's grades between you and the Lord, not between you and me. I want to challenge you to share your testimony with somebody this week. Oh, I'm not coming back. If he's going to be saying stuff like this. Look for an opportunity that the Lord might open a door and compel you to not say, I want to tell you about Jesus. I, I mean, maybe that's what he gives you. Maybe that'll work and maybe God leads you that way. But instead to say, man, just this week's Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? Well, I'm thankful for this and this and this. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for what God's done in my heart. He changed me from someone who loved sin and wickedness to, to love him. And he pulled me out of the bondage of sin and set me free in him and gave me his spirit. And he's changed my heart. He's changed my life. He's done so much for me. And then just see if the Lord does something more with that. You might get the, <laughs> yikes. But you also might, what if, what if, what if you get a, could you tell me more about that? What if, guys, look at that, what if. What if they said yes? What if they were open? What if God did something with it? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it confronts us, it calls us higher. Lord, I ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit in a way that gives us boldness like in the book of Acts, that we would be willing to have hard or difficult or uncomfortable conversations. Lord, I ask for all of us that if we have values in our hearts and lives that are contrary to what you teach us to value, that you would change our hearts, that you would renew our minds. Lord, let us be pleasing to you and use the time you have given us for your purposes and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.